Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed at Niche, and my guest today is Chris Hebner. Chris is the Director of Activation at Simpson Scarborough, where he manages the life cycle of comprehensive campaigns across various institutional and program types. Prior to his current role, he worked at other higher ed agencies, as well as in enrollment management for the University of South Carolina, where he continues to teach as an instructor in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. His work has been published in the Journal of Digital and Social Media Marketing, Journal of Education Advancement and Marketing, and the Journal of Brand Strategy. It was actually some of this academic work that caught my eye and what we'll be diving into today. Welcome. Thanks for making time to chat today, Chris. Absolutely, Will. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to start off here with two really tough questions I ask everybody. First up, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? It's a great question and and, and a really good one to start off with. I don't know if you're familiar with the term fingerprinting. I learned a really valuable lesson uh, when I first started in marketing and enrollment management where I got really excited about proposing a campaign platform. And so this would be enrolled across all of our marketing activities and undergraduate admissions. And, you know, one of the things that I, I learned through doing all the work, doing all the prep work, um, is those moments where you need to get buy-in from those that either, A, do the work, manage the work, or are responsible for socializing uh, the work. And so the big mistake I made was was not doing that. And so when it came time to present, uh, when it came time to talk it through, um, I didn't have those foundational pieces set with others who would be ultimately responsible for helping bring this idea to life. And so ultimately, it didn't work out as I planned, but I really learned that lesson that, you know, especially as you kind of you know move up into leadership roles where you're working across teams or working across divisions or organizations that having others fingerprints or those who really need to be signing off on things, having their, mm-hmm. their buy-in. Uh, and I think it's also paid off, especially moving the agency side, understanding, you know, who's ultimately responsible for the work beyond just simply your client contact because ultimately our work has wide sweeping effects and learning that really early on and I think my career uh, saved me from a lot of those other scenarios moving forward. And that's great advice for everyone out there because it doesn't matter how clear your plan is to you, how obvious you think it should be, how successful it's going to be. People like to have that buy-in in advance. Oh yes, absolutely. Easy step to mess. What are some practices you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have like a common practice. I think my, I, I'm ultimately driven in a lot of ways by wanting to understand what big brands do and how they're successful in terms of marketing and kind of bring that down to my work, uh, whether it's at the program mm-hmm. level or, or at the institution level. So what can I learn and then apply? And that's, that's you know, what we initially talked about through some of the work that 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 you read of mine is, is mm-hmm. taking those learnings and applying them. And so a lot of my brainstorming or, or best practices come from reading. So whether that's nonfiction, Vault let me write like 2000 words on like is higher ed a service or a product brand. Mm-hmm. And it was completely inspired by um, uh, the Heath brothers, uh, Dan and Chip's book, Power Moments, uh, yeah. which was a really great frame of reference to think through the different marketing activities. Um, and how those ultimately like get processed and um, recorded to memory, which certainly affects perception of something like a brand. So it had nothing to do with marketing, had nothing to do with with higher ed, but really inspirational because I think there's at the root of my my piece, are we a service brand or product brand, ultimately helps us make better marketing and communication decisions. 
Um, I'm also a case study junkie or fan. Uh, I love IPA works, uh, APG works, anything published that's extensive, you know, not the usual like paragraph uh, on, on a bit of work, but really diving into uh, methodology, budgets, uh, and, and following the actual project through the course of the, the actual campaign's life cycle. I think that those are really great places to get uh, new ways to think about work that doesn't necessarily have to be industry specific, and then a great way to think about how to measure outcomes as well. And, and I think that's funny. This is, I think, the third time that the Heath brothers have been mentioned uh, in, in the podcast. So <laughs> I think that's a good sign. If anyone's looking for some reading recommendations, uh, that may be where you want to go. I might, might fathom a guess maybe made to stick made a... Uh, uh, made yep, a, it sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the one. first two, actually. <laughs> I, I'm really excited about this term and this idea, and, and I actually read the paper a couple times already, but I think I've been looking at things wrong, and I'll bet others, maybe not wrong, but differently, I think others had been as well. So how would you explain what mental availability is and, and how it shows up in a way that people might be familiar with it and just not know that term? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure this other term will come up, awareness, at some point in our in our mm-hmm. conversation. And I think there's definitely differences, but they're very nuancy differences. And so I think to start with a term like uh, mental availability, I, I'll give you the textbook definition, the one, the one that I think is probably most uh, important because it comes from the Amber Bass Institute who, who basically coined the phrase, but it's defined as the probability that a buyer will notice, recognize, and think of a brand in a buying situation. And the key distinction there is that, you know, if you think about you know, anytime we are looking at a product or service to solve a need, many of us come to that with different contexts. And contexts may also be described as a buying moment. So we want to understand not just like, hey, we're thought of, generally speaking, um, but we're thought of in specific uh, moments. And so it's those moments that we're standing at the grocery store in front of 100 different toothpaste options. You know, what's ultimately driving what's available to us in, in terms of where we're going to hone in on a specific type of toothpaste. Um, how are we going to satisfy hunger? Maybe a Snickers. That, that's certainly a, a, an entry point or a, a mental availability play by Snickers. Uh, you know, I think a really good example um, for our industry could be, you know, online degrees. Um, you know, an entry point uh, for education is modality. Um, you know, and, and no matter how much we think of awareness in terms of our institutional awareness, you know, most often when we think of online degrees, we start with usually the big three because they've invested heavily in uh, both distinctive assets and market, but also uh, messaging around that buying context. I, a really great example, which I love, which I think creates a really good point of reference and separation between awareness and mental availability would be thinking through the pizza battles. So back in the early 2000s, this is between Pizza Hut and Domino's. If we look at a measure like awareness, both have really high measures of awareness. Um, I don't remember the number off offhand, but you know what, you know, for for a company like uh, Pizza Hut to raise awareness by 2% isn't that impactful as owning a buying moment, um, especially when you're looking at, you know, increasing uh, things like market share. And so in the early 2000s, at that point in time, if you if you ask questions around pizza in general, most people attributed that to Pizza Hut. So for Domino's, they had a couple of strategic decisions to make. You know, do we want to try to own pizzas or something else? And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to uh, measures or practices related to yep. mental availability. But you know, we often 
uh, use the term an entry point or a category entry point, what brings someone to the category. And oftentimes there's multiple entry points. And for Domino's, their goal was to find an additional entry point. And so they wanted to own delivery. So if you thought about pizza delivery, not just pizza, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm satisfying a need using a spe- in a very specific way or buying situation, Domino's wanted to be that first or mentally uh, available when it came to delivery. And so we saw, and in, in this, this was back in when like Crispin Porter was their agency of record, but you saw them do campaigns around pizza insulation devices. So you get the freshest mm-hmm. pizza delivered to your house. They did this one stunt where you could... Uh, apply for grants where they would fix potholes along your pizza yep. route. And they've continued to do that over over time. You know, now they're paying you to come to the store. Um, but the mm-hmm. distinction there is, you know, being available in a certain buying context or moment. And so that's, I think, where a good, where that good illustration of the differences is, is pizza versus pizza delivery and how important it was for them and impactful to their bottom line as well um, mm-hmm. over the course of the past decade. A decade or more at this point. Is this closely tied then to like if, if someone says jacuzzi instead of hot tub, you know, and taking the brand name and applying it to the category Kleenex instead of tissue, is that mental availability tied to that? You know, your question's a good one. And I think this is where it gets a little nuancy because, you know, when the market leader owns the category in a sense that Coke might or, or Kleenex might, mm-hmm. um, I think that's where becomes a little bit different. And, and if you're looking to, you know, we'll say really get to the brass tacks and invest in measuring this over time, then that's where defining this, you know, upfront uh, becomes important because you can sort of get into the weeds, I think, with how you define, how you describe and how you ultimately bring uh, competitors together to measure this. Mm-hmm. So would, would someone say this would be the difference of how many colleges can you list versus how many would you want to go to? Can we boil it down to something like that or? Yeah, or how many, you know, uh, you know how many colleges can you list versus how many um, do you feel have maybe strong engineering programs or yeah. uh, has a student experience uh, that is you know, important to that person? I, I can't think of a good way to describe student experience, yeah. but it, it would be, it, it's almost answering like the who, what, when, where, and why that might bring someone to the, to the category. Um, it, it's like, here in Indiana, I mean, everyone could name all the Big Ten schools, but if you ask them about their programs, they might not know. Uh, it's, that, right. it's that next level of depth gets to mental availability, right? Yes. Yeah. I may know of it, but when it ultimately it's time to decide where I want to go to school, it's what's that driver or what's that context someone's looking into that and how can we be you know, first available when, they, when they're thinking mm-hmm. through that decision. Yeah. Okay. Well, this idea of awareness campaigns, building awareness, I know I've said awareness probably meaning uh, mental availability for years now. It's been around for a while, but how do you look at those differently when your goal is really to build mental availability? Yeah. You know, and this is like, I feel like a lot of people struggle with this, not just simply, this isn't just a discussion for higher ed, but, um, you know, I think it's almost like there's that. I don't know if it's a qualifier, what, I don't know what you call a term that comes after the word, but it's like awareness for, awareness mm. for what? And so, you know, I think going back to like, what's a successful brand, you know, a successful brand has created some sort of mental shortcut or heuristic that stands in for something. So whether it's quality, whether it's, you know, craftsmanship, whether it's, you know, technical components, convenience, but what they've done essentially is said, Hey, we're going to, you know, 
put something in the market that makes us easily recognizable. And in that recognition is connected to something, uh, some association or somewhat, if you follow the mental availability literature, they call it memory structure. So what, what comes up as a result of that recognition, uh, then it might drive a decision. And so I, you know, I think we could work our way into knots trying to figure out the difference. I think that there's key drivers of mental uh, mental availability that anyone has access to, and so no matter if you're a billion dollar brand or if you're you know a hundred thousand dollar media spend, I think there's really three I think key components that say, okay, hey, we want to invest in this if we want to you know think about this in terms of how it can create uh, marketing effectiveness. It, it boils down to media decisions: are we spending enough in market, and are we reaching enough people with enough frequency that we are recognizable? If this is something that some you know you want to consider, but your budget is you know ten thousand dollars in search, this that's not going to move this needle. But if you if you if you are considerate of of budget and 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 reach, that's one component. The third, uh, you'll see the term uh, reference distinctive assets, and so this is what you're putting out there creatively. And, and it's it's funny because when you when you read them, it's like these are read as best practices, but you know, you'd be surprised, you know, how often messages or even logos are used across you know campuses or institutions i mean a lot of institutions are large large entities with hundreds of communicators implementing brand codes and not all the time is everyone on on sync and so the goal is you know, using distinct assets consistently across all marketing activities to build that recognition and these are really just brand elements from taglines to logos to design uh, features or design aesthetics uh, that are used consistently to where you're building up that fluency or you're building up that recognition in market. And that certainly helps with the recognition. Um, And then we are considerate of those entry points. So what are the contexts that we want to own in the market? And so when someone is in 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 a college search or purchasing decision, how can our messaging best reflect that to be uh, available. Um, we use the term category entry points, and those are the cues that are often used uh, when someone is trying to make a purchase decision. Um, these can mm-hmm. be how someone's feeling in a moment, what emotions they're feeling. Um, we might call this the why, what motivates, or, or what is the benefit someone's seeking to obtain. Uh, when could be you know, timing, what's going on in terms of year, seasonality. What are they doing? So the context of maybe when they're making a purchase decision. Um, where, where are they making the decision? With whom are others involved? Mm-hmm. And then mom and this, dad in this case. Mom and dad, um, best friend, <laughs> mm-hmm. as I did. Um, and then uh, is, it, is there something co-purchased, you know, along with it? And that probably doesn't have any, uh, you know, maybe is important for higher ed. Um, but we're considering all these entry points into the market. And then we're deciding, okay, what makes sense amongst our, our competitor set or our competitors that we can feasibly and want to invest in, uh, in owning you know, the paper that we had, had talked about, I, I used a couple of examples with an MAT program that I had worked with. And so I, I mapped out a couple points, if you will, in terms of like why. And so things like, and in, in, in this is for a, a graduate program, so it's a little bit different than, than maybe mm-hmm. a typical undergraduate, but things like an entry point would be wanting to advance your career, transitioning to a career that's historically stable and, and education is a way to, to get there. Current career lacks meaning. You want to find something that's more meaningful. Uh, maybe you have a field of study that you've been invested in over time, and now you want to give back and maybe pass that 
passion on to a younger generation. Th those are certainly all why category entry points um, that someone could invest in in terms of um, messaging across their, their marketing activities. I got stuck on this. Would something like athletics or the arts fit into that co-purchasing where they want, I want this academic program, I want a campus like this, but boy, I also want to keep playing basketball. Or I want to keep playing the flute. Do you think that kind of fits into the idea of where they're essentially they're shopping for two experiences or even more if they're thinking about study abroad, got to have it. Is that a feature of or is that a co-purchase type decision? Um, that could be one. Uh, I'll borrow from another category. You know, Coke, during the summer, they'll run ads where they're always paired with some sort of grilling activity. Yeah. And so the goal is there is when I'm picking out what I'm going to have for my party or for my grilling occasion, that, that Coke comes to mind in that moment. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that there are elements of that. It might be hard to maybe own that universally across yeah. um, many segments for higher ed. Maybe you're a, a smaller office and these are new terms for you or you just want to be more intentional. How do you sit down and start planning out with these campaigns if we want to be able to be mentally available for juniors looking for this program? Do you have to start getting that granular with every, every step or how do you get started building campaigns? Yeah, I don't know that I would start it at, from like a segment perspective. I, I think... Because what, what you don't want to have happen is, you, you know, you're not uh, refreshing it enough or you're not communicating it enough where you get the, you know, the benefit of, of all segment. I think that's, I mean, this is really about, you know, building the brand at the end of the day. And I think sometimes, especially with search campaigns, uh, we, we, you know, we tend to segment so niche that, that a lot of that collective understanding doesn't, doesn't happen. I mean, I think the, a big thing is to really think about what brings someone uh, to the category and how you're institution, you know, department, program offers that solution. So really thinking through those contexts and then how can you ultimately own that via, you know, message or value proposition. And then of course, not losing sight on those uh, distinctive assets, because that's really the glue that holds all these communications together. Because if you're, you know, if you're looking at this from a departmental level and you know, your NBA and your you know, masters in business analytics look completely mm -hmm. different and you lose a lot of those connection points that you've, you've built over time. And then even across, you know, very various moments of the search process or the, the buying, buying cycle. So being, I think, I, I think the starting point is what do we want to own from an asset perspective and then working our way down into that, to the entry points. Uh, Cause oh. sometimes those can be connected too um, when we think about messaging and taglines and, slogans everyone loves coming up with a tagline and a slogan and forgets all the other steps <laughs> yeah. uh, i love i love data i love surveying i love kind of figuring all this out we're used to seeing awareness campaigns right but what would an effective survey look like to measure mental availability in an audience yeah, you know, I think the the industry standard, uh, we look at measures like mental market share, and that's like the percentage of a brand's share of associations across the total number of associations across the category, uh, if you will. And so I, I, I just, I doubt many institutions have, have resources no. uh, to really <laughs> unroll that. I mean, I think it could be as simple as, you know, asset recognition. And so, you know, we talked about in, investing in distinctive assets. And so, you know, a simple 
survey uh, instrument um, at various parts of college search can certainly get at, you know, are people recognizing, are prospective students recognizing our logo? You know, have, are they so used to seeing the athletic logo that when we start sending out admission stuff with our uh, official or academic logo, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, you know, are we losing uh, recognition and, and decreasing the likelihood that someone might, you know, open this letter or open this um, mm-hmm. packet with a view book in it because they don't recognize it as quickly. You know, so, so logo, um, any uh, design elements that you brought in, messaging, um, you know, testing that to see if if they've uh, if they connect that with your brand without having any sort of um, connections made. You know, if, if you're working with uh, programmatic partners, some some partners offer the ability to survey while in market, and that, mm-hmm. that can certainly be something uh, that can be asked. Uh, that's usually you know built into some sort of survey um, um, cost, or if not, you know, low cost option is certainly something you can do it. You know, we're willing participants, no matter where they're at in the college uh, search process. I, we, we did a lot of this at the institution I was at, and I was just surprised at how often you can just ask someone, whether it's via you know an official email or just an admitted student day event, how, how willing people are to participate. I was, no bribing was necessary. Uh, and then, I mean, you, you know, another survey instrument is if it's built around entry points and, and messaging is, you know, if, let's say we'll go back to the engineering example. And if you're really wanting to lean into wanting to be known for your STEM degrees or engineering, um, you know, you might ask um, which of these areas is most, do you closely associate with, with and then, you know, have a couple of yeah, institutions listed. University. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, ask that at certain points of the mm-hmm. uh, admission cycle or, or the college search process and benchmark and then, and then see over time if, if the, those increase. So it's much more of a second tier of what do you actually know about, not do you recognize the name? It's do you recognize the logo? Do you recognize what they're known for? And that's where you can start building some of that. Is that right? Right. Uh, I mean, because it can be as simple as, you know, going, once again, using the Domino's ex- example. I mean, if you can be known for something, it's almost like what can we be known for that gets us put into the search bar and, and ultimately mm-hmm. clicked on. So engineering school near me, uh, mm-hmm. pizza delivery, you know, Domino's shows up. I've seen it enough. I get it. They, they own delivery, delivery, excuse me. I'm much more likely to, to click. And I think the same goes for institutions as well. Outside of the actual decision making and and the uh, that enrollment choice, does focusing your your branding efforts, your marketing efforts, communication efforts on mental availability affect other aspects of the search enrollment process as well? Are there other benefits? Are there other things that you start to see changing when you shift focus to mental availability? You know, th- this is obviously the, what you're hoping to accomplish at the top of the funnel, and the goal would be is is if you can own enough share of mind or, or mm-hmm. mental market share that you approve a lot of those down funnel uh, efficiencies. I'm, I'm known, I'm known for this. Uh, and if this is something that, that is desired in the market, then are my search emails more likely to get opened? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, probably so. Um, am I more likely to see someone wanting to show up at an open house? You know, probably so. Um, because I've determined the appropriate context and that, 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 you know, buying decision with, with what we offer. And, and that usually, at least we see this play out in most categories that this is study. We, we see that play out in lower funnel uh, marketing efficiencies. Do you, is there any study that you're aware of looking then at sort of the meaningful recommendations? The more you come to mind a meaningful way about a program, about an opportunity, 
are are they more likely to then be recommended rather than just oh have you heard of but oh you mm-hmm. might want to consider this because yeah the most i've seen is is those who have the most market share get most recommended. And so I don't know that that's necessarily been applied to this specific measure, but we we are more likely to recommend something based on a, a positive product experience. And so what I do feel like is if, if we are true to what we want to message and we are true to then having that play out across the entirety of the, the experience, uh, then we certainly improve um, improve the likelihood that, that will be recommended. This this is fantastic, and and I appreciate the time, and I'm I'm really glad I got to pick your brain and dive a little bit deeper here, and and I know other people will get a lot out of this as well. What are some things people can continue reading on this, or where are some good places to go look for that information? We often learn how marketing works on the internet, and there are a lot mm-hmm. of things I feel like can lead us astray as as marketers. I think the one book that comes up time and time again is is that that example of if you want to understand how this works uh, across multiple categories and take those and apply them uh, to our category is uh, how brands grow, which has two chapters devoted to this topic by uh, Byron Sharp, and it, it's it's the quintessential book on the subject of if we want to improve our marketing efficiencies. You know, here are ten things to consider, and in each chapter mm-hmm. is one of those consideration points, and it's it's just it's backed up by a lot of research, which I, I find to be really helpful. And, and that book has your mental availability as well. You were able to jump right to it. Well, you know, and then there's how brands grow too, and then there is <laughs> then their third book was called <laughs> Distinctive Assets. And so, if you're really wanting to spend some money and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and spend a month or two uh, reading, uh, and then they just came out. Um, uh, it's the, it's in the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, which is just a, a great place to, to, to find this information. Uh, they just came out with the fourth book called Brand Health. Mm-hmm. And so you can follow all the, uh, the research um, or all the literature streams on the subject through all four books if you choose to. Yeah, well, let's see, four books. That means Netflix miniseries next year, and uh, we'll have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, uh, there there will be a small corner of Twitter that will be yeah. avid uh, <laughs> avid viewers of that program. Yeah, hold Discord server set up. I can see it now. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the link. All right. <laughs> well, well, Chris, if people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Chris Eber, so feel free to re- reach out. I, I, I love talking. And then, you know, I, I, I ultimately just can't ever write a LinkedIn post. So I write in articles that probably only four people will read in <laughs> journals. <laughs> so you can find much of my writing in, in the journals that you uh, listed on the intro. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, stay well. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it.